people never think about it. And it's so important. And the Word of God says that we need to saturate our spiritual men with the Word of God. That's the food for the spiritual men. Listen to his word. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. The Two Revs on TRE Talk Radio Europe. Yes, good morning. Welcome once again to The Two Revs. We're into the new year already. We've got a great program for you this morning. We're going to be looking at cells and computers. But before we do that, let's get straight on with some music. Let's lift up the tempo a bit and let's listen to You Are Amazing God. We fall to our knees as we hope 
You are amazing God, and he most certainly is. And this morning, we're going to be talking with Florin Makanu, and we're going to be talking about just how amazing our God is, you know, because the more science learns, the more we recognize there has to be some design behind what we actually are living, this life that we've got. And Florin is an associate speaker with Creation Ministries International, and he's also a software engineer by profession. Uh, He joins us uh, to speak to us about the similarities between cells and computers, and how through this can we appreciate how each and every one of us is uniquely created by a very intelligent designer. The Bible tells us that we are all unique. We are created as specific people and God has a plan for each and every one of us. So you don't forget you can come and join us this morning at 11 o'clock down in the church in Battle Mountain or a church near to you. You know, as I say sometimes, other churches are available, but we'd love to see you down in Battle Mountain on Plathore Benzo at 11 o'clock. Anyway, let's get straight over because we've got a long interview, two sections of a long interview. Very, very interesting this one. Let's go over and listen to Florin. So first of all, Florian, I want to say thank you and welcome to the program. It's lovely that you've taken time out. You've just finished work, basically. And so thank you for taking this time. And uh, I know what we're going to talk about today will fascinate people, not just from a biological point of view, but from a a technical point of view as well, because we're going to be talking about computers. Uh, And so tell us a little bit about how that fits together with what your skill set is, really. Yeah, um so um, I am. Uh, I have studied uh, theology um, at the University of Bucharest. Um, so I did my best to learn as much as I could about God. Um, I also work as a software engineer. Um, uh, I had training in obviously software engineering, but also in um, molecular biology. Uh, the reason I did this uh, latest degree is because I try to understand. Uh, as well as I can, how cells work and try to understand how the theory of evolution fits with uh, uh, with how cells work. Is it possible for cells to evolve and, and so on? Well, that's interesting in itself because you're talking about cells from a biological point of view here. So, can, uh, I mean, people will know the word, obviously they will, but can you give us a little bit of a deeper understanding of what a cell is when it refers to you and I? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting that uh, um, cells were actually discovered quite some time ago. They were discovered in uh, mid-1600s. Um, and after they discovered uh, cells, they realized that actually, you know, all life is made of cells. Um, and uh, many people would be familiar with the fact that the cells are actually the basic units of life. You have living organisms and they are made up of cells. Um, you can have single-celled organisms, so the whole organism is just one cell, such as uh, microbes, or they could be made up of many cells, such as uh, plants and animals. Um, when the cells were first discovered, the microscopes were not very powerful, so people did not, scientists did not know much about the inner workings of the cell. 
uh, even as late as uh, during Darwin's time, for example, uh, they considered the cell to be a simple blob of protoplasm, a basic building block of life. They didn't quite know exactly how it works and what happens inside the cell. But more powerful microscopes and more research progressively revealed the staggeringly complex structure and function of the cell and its subcomponents. I mean, uh, what's interesting is that we know a lot more about cells today than they knew back then. But even today, with our modern, modern equipment, we are still far, far from fully understanding the inner workings of the cell completely. Um, but we do know that a single cell can do quite a few things. Um, for example, it can take in nutrients, it can convert them to energy, uh, it can build units that are necessary in the cell. Um, it can defend itself from enemies and so on. There are quite a few things that a cell can do. And I found it interesting that um, some scientists suggested that if you were to magnify a cell to the size of a city such as New York, then the inner workings of the cell would be far, far more complex than all the systems and interactions in New York as a city. That's quite amazing in itself, isn't it? There's so much going on within such a small entity, the cell, uh, that, that there must be so much more that we still need and can find out about. But that is a natural thing in the sense that it is, is biological. I mean, how does that relate to a computer with your hmm. software understanding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah that, that is correct. Indeed, cells are uh, natural entities. Uh, but what is interesting is that they display computer-like interactions. Now, before I speak more about computers, it may help our listeners if I try to give a definition for a computer. And obviously, <laughs> I would like to ask uh, um, our listeners if they were to hear the word computer, what is the first image that comes to their mind? So I'm going to ask you, Howard, when you hear the word computer, what is the first image that comes to your mind? Well, certainly it would be the thing that we're sitting in front of now. We'd be talking about a laptop or, or a desktop, or if you're as old as I am, going right back to those early days of the very first computers that came out. And I remember struggling with one for a long, long time, one of the very, very first ones that came out, and eventually managed to figure out the problem was I hadn't switched it on. I know that sounds really <laughs> stupid, but you've got one of those buttons you couldn't find anywhere. So uh, you would you certainly would be thinking of uh, an electronic device and possibly even ones that were size of rooms at one point and now are down to a tiny little thing that we're sitting in front of. That, that's actually quite an interesting answer because I guess it depends what... Uh, uh, at what point in time you ask people what they understand a computer to be? Because uh, if you were to ask somebody in the 1600s, for example, what a computer is, they would say that a computer is a person who does computation, does calculations. Hmm. Um, today, though, that's, for example, if you Google uh, uh, the term computer, the images that come up will probably be those of a laptop or maybe a desktop computer uh, together with its, its monitor. Um, in other words, you'll find images, as you mentioned, of an electronic computer. But many people don't realize that computers do not have to be electronic. And probably people are familiar with Charles Babbage, who in the 1800s designed a mechanical machine called a differential engine. Now, this differential engine is the first automatic mechanical computer. 
So maybe if I were to read a definition for a computer, that might be quite useful. It's a definition that I had to, to learn from, obviously, my degree. Uh, it goes like this. A computer is a machine or device that performs processes, calculations, and operations based on instructions provided by a software or a hardware program. It is designed to execute applications and provide a variety of solutions by combining integrated hardware and software components. Mm. That's quite a long definition, isn't it? But I think that the main point that I'm trying to make here is that um, I think our listeners need to distance themselves from the idea of an electronic computer. Uh, not think so much of the box itself, but rather think of what a computer does. It's a processing unit. It processes coded information. And uh, it's this processing of information that is specific to a computer and not the shape of, of the box. So computers, uh, they can store information and they can process that information. Hmm. Well, as you're saying, as you just mentioned, that the obviously a, a physical computer, electronic computer, will have its hardware and also software, which is something that you, you produce as well, and write that software, which tells the hardware what to do. It can't do it without. So are you suggesting then that a biological cell has also a hardware and a software entity to it? Mm, yeah, well, <laughs> I, I'm aware that I'm very <laughs> passionate of this, uh, comparing cells to computers and computers to cells. But uh, to be honest, I do try to, to be careful about uh, about it, and I try not to push the analogy between cells and computers too far. Uh, for one thing, we don't yet fully understand the inner workings of the cell. So maybe there are mechanisms in the cell that we are not fully aware of. Um, also, I have already mentioned that a cell is far, far more complex than a computer, if you wish. A cell is more like a factory with a network of computers than a single uh, computer. Mm. But if we think of the definition that I gave earlier about hardware and software and processing information, um, we can point at cell components that are quite similar to computer components. Uh, for example, we are familiar with the fact that computers store information on hard drives, right? Uh, now, the hard drive, as the name says, is part of the hardware, but a cell stores information too. It is stored on a molecule called DNA. Now, DNA is a long molecule. It's a double chain of um, four nucleotides called adenine, guanine, thiamine, and uh, cytosine. So cells contain information. They store information. And not only do they store it, but they also process this information. Now, uh, I have to admit that at this point, it would be nice if we had some pictures or some videos to yeah. <laughs> explain what happens in, in the cell. But uh, uh, I'll try not to be very technical, uh, yet I'll try to explain a bit the process that happens in the cells. It, it goes something like this. The cell has a machinery called RNA polymerase. This machinery reads the DNA molecule and copies that information in RNA letters, so from DNA letters to RNA letters, creating a single-stranded chain of RNA nucleotides. This is called messenger RNA, since its role is to carry the message from DNA, from storage, to the ribosome. Now, the ribosome 
takes this strand of messenger RNA and reads it. It reads it three letters at a time. The group of three letters is called a codon. Now, based on the combination of letters on the messenger RNA, the ribosome will start to create another chain. But this time, it's not a chain of RNAs, but it's a string of amino acids. Now, amino acids are the building blocks for proteins, and proteins are the building blocks of the cell. So you see, the, the order of the codons in the messenger RNA, and ultimately in the DNA, is the one that determines the order of amino acids in the protein. Now, this order of amino acids has to be fairly specific, otherwise the protein will not fold correctly. And an incorrectly folded protein can be harmful or even deadly for the cell. Actually, it is so important that proteins fold in the right way that if there are misfolded proteins in the cell, there are machineries in the cell that are going to, to um, identify, tag, and then destroy the misfolded proteins. Now, I know that's quite a lot of information, mm. but if I were to summarize it, um, it's the fact that the cell stores information in DNA. It copies that information into messenger RNA. It sends it to the ribosome, which is the processing unit, if you want, and it creates a protein. That's quite amazing, not just the fact that it does that, but the fact that we as human beings have been able to discover that. And as you said, there's still so much more, I'm sure, that the cell will do. And where you're saying there that if if it creates it incorrectly, um, it won't work. I suppose that sort of thing is when you get a cancerous cell or something like that, or a cell that your body then starts to attack when things actually go wrong in that information. So if that is the case, then are you relating that information to like a software program? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that information in, in itself does uh, resemble uh, a software program. Um, it, it's interesting that the conclusion that life runs on DNA software has become more and more obvious uh, since the discovery, obviously, of uh, DNA. But more recently, Craig Venter, uh, he's a biotechnologist who in May 2010 led a team of scientists to successfully uh, uh, synthesize a very long DNA molecule containing an entire bacterium genome and introduce this into another cell. So they pretty much produced some DNA of one type and introduced it into another cell of a different type. Now, what did they notice with that? Actually, in an interview uh, for New Scientist, he was asked, is there a single advance that has shaped your understanding of what life is? His answer was this. When we were able to move DNA from one cell to another, converting one species to another, that was the proof that life is a DNA software system. If you change the software, you change the species. Mm. As you can see, he, he uses very specific terms uh, here. And I found that uh, very interesting. Um, if you think about it, in computers, as we mentioned, you have uh, uh, hardware and you have software. Uh, the hardware is the physical uh, bits. Um, I remember uh, um, somebody joking about the difference between hardware and software. He says, well, hardware is the bit that you 
you hit when the software doesn't work. Yeah, so <laughs> interesting kicking the box, but if the software does yeah. uh, the problem. But the software is the immaterial, is the informational uh, content, the immaterial part of the computer. Um, and now if you have a laptop, let's say you have Windows operating system uh, installed on it, and one day you decide, well, I no longer want to use Windows, I want to use Linux. As you know, Linux is another operating system. Yeah. So what do you do? You just get rid of Windows, you delete it or something like this, you install Linux, and now it's the same hardware, but the software has changed. Now, when you turn it on and you have a look at it and the way how it works, you realize, well, it works differently. Why does it work differently? It's the same hardware, it's the same laptop. Well, obviously, nobody will be impressed with this because they know duh, if you change uh, uh, the software, the computer is going to behave differently. So that's pretty much what Venter argues. If you change the DNA, you change the behavior of the cell. I think we're seeing quite a lot of that. Even people, as we watch the news, we can see that people are, are playing with that situation, changing DNA where they can and, and looking whether that's good or bad. That's, <laughs> that's a different interview. But they are aware that they can do that and alter things. And when, when we look at that and see just how complicated a cell is at such a small level within us, it really does take some imagination to think that happened by chance. And yet there's many people that really think that that just happened from a mud pool and then suddenly everything started to work how can how can they find a natural explanation for that to work because certainly the software you wrote this afternoon you say you're writing software i assume mm. you sat down at the desk and you wrote it you know they can't say it just suddenly happened while you were on holiday so what how do people come up with just saying this just happened naturally yeah um well what happens, obviously, there is a lot of research in this area. And I think it's great that uh, people do research and they try to understand how things work, because even understanding how things work is, as I said, we are quite far away from understanding fully how uh, a cell uh, works. I remember in my studies that um, when you are in year one, you have some basic introduction, like we know how this does this. In, in year two, there is a bit more about cell biology, and these are the main bits, and we know how they work. But I remember when I was in a year three, and we did molecular and cell biology, we were given some bits, and pretty much every chapter ended with well, that's pretty much what we know, but there is a lot we don't know. And for example, we don't know this, we don't know that. So there is a lot of research and people try to understand how cells work. And what they hope is that this same research will help them understand how uh, cells appeared in life without the need of an intelligent creator. How, as you say, somewhere in a, a, a muddy pool, life just uh, started. But, you, you know, I, I don't think as a Christians we should be afraid of scientific discoveries. If anything, I think that over the past few decades, what this whole scientific uh, research has revealed is that cells are very, very complex. Also, that the complexity of the cell, of the cell software, if you wish, makes it quite unlikely that cells arose by uh, natural means. Hmm. I think, uh, uh, for, for me personally, I think it's, it's one of those things that I'm not afraid of science at all. And that's one of the things I think that is so good about 
people like yourselves with Creation uh, Ministries International, because they are using science and showing us that it doesn't necessarily contradict what the Bible says. In fact, many times it actually backs it up in many ways. Uh, but there will be some people, I'm sure, listening this morning, there'll be some people that, that don't believe in God, don't believe in that higher power, whatever they want to call it. And therefore, as you've just said, as, as you learn more and more about the subject, to some degree, you realise the less and less that you actually know about the subject because there was more to learn. And so sometimes people would just say, well, all you've done then is just said, well, what we don't know, God must have done. Like a God of the gaps, you know, we'll just stick God in that space because we don't know anything else yet. How do you respond to something like that? Mm, yeah, it, it, it is interesting indeed. Um, and I, I guess if we were to look in history, um, probably at times Christians and maybe non-Christians have explained, uh, you know, um, natural principles uh, by appealing to God. Well, we don't know how that happens. We don't know how thunders uh, and lightning happen. So it must be God, it must be Zeus, it must be mm -hmm. that, that kind of, of thing. Um, um, and there are people uh, even today who understand this argument from design as God of the gaps. Um, but I, I think this is a bit of a misunderstanding of the argument. You see, the argument from design states that design only comes from a mind. So whatever you see design, you have the right to assume that there is a designer behind that uh, design. Uh, again, that's based on knowledge. That's based on what we do know. And mm. if you allow me, I would like to, um, to give you a few illustrations here. Um, for example, let's talk about archaeology. Let's imagine that um, we are with uh, some archaeologists. Uh, they are digging in this mound and they found this, what I would describe as a flat pointy pebble, right? I look mm. at it and I see a flat pointy pebble. Mm. Um, but what conclusion would the archaeologists draw? They'd say, well, look at that. Look at the shape. Look at the chiseling. This is definitely a human artifact. It is, in fact, an arrowhead. And again, I might look at it and I say, oh, come on. It's just a piece of rock that maybe wind and water gave it that shape. What would the archaeologist do? Well, uh, he or she would take me to their arrowhead collection. Um, some of those arrowheads would probably be still attached to petrified wood of the arrow. And they would they would point at it and, and say, you see, this is proof positive that humans were here. Only humans with that intelligence would create such artifact. Maybe you, you think it's just a pointy bit of pebble, but when you look carefully at the design, you realize that it's more than that. It's a designed arrowhead. Hmm. Now, what if our archaeologist, digging a bit uh, further in the same site, found a clay tablet, Right. He would, she would argue that it was a mind who produced that tablet and especially the code, the writing on the tablet. They may not even understand the code as it happens each time when they discover something new, um, but they'd be convinced it's a code. Now, again, I'm, I'm there with them and I say, oh, this is nothing more than chance. We all know that when clay is soft, it's easy to imprint shapes on it. Maybe a potter dropped a piece of clay then he stepped on it with his boot. And what you see here is the imprint of its boot sole, right? <laughs> Probably they would laugh at me and I would be laughed out of the academia, right? Both these examples argue from knowledge. 
we do know that it takes human intelligence to create arrowheads. And also it takes human intelligence, even more human intelligence to, to uh, uh, create a clay tablet with the writings and the message um, that you, you have on it. So both of them point at intelligence. Um, but what people have argued uh, when I discussed this issue, they were like, well, yes, both of them point at human intelligence. So you can only argue as much that it's only human intelligence that, uh, that uh, can be involved. However, uh, by the way, uh, are you familiar with the SETI program? No, I'm not. But we're going to take a short break because there'll be people out there, I'm sure, listen to this program that know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so we're going to take a short break. Then we're going to come back and look at SETI, which uh, people will find very, very interesting, I'm sure. The Two Revs on TRE Talk Radio Europe. The Two Revs on TRE Talk Radio Europe. Well, Florin, welcome back and to the second half. We've got a really in-depth uh, programme this morning and I'm delighted that you're with us as we're talking about uh, the cells and how they relate to computers uh, in the sense that they have hardware, they have software, and of course they can commute or not commute, compute, compute numbers. Now, just before we took the break, you asked me if I was familiar with the SETI programme, S-I, sorry, S-E-T-I. Well, I know it stands for Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And so as you were saying before we broke uh, for the break, you were saying that although there may be intelligence shown in things we see like the arrowhead, like writing, we're talking about human intelligence. But I suspect that what we're going to look at now is that when we talk about intelligence to put a cell together, that took a bit more than a human being. Absolutely. And uh, as I said, people try to argue uh, against the argument from uh, design, the argument that intelligence is needed by saying, well, yes, but it only humans we know to be intelligent. So uh, that's it. It's, if you see design in the cell, you must assume that it's humans. But I, I don't think that that's quite fair. Because, um, as you mentioned, said, it does stand for Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And it's interesting that it was, I think, somewhere in March 1955, uh, in an issue of Scientific American, uh, where John Krauss described an interesting idea. Namely, he suggested that we should scan the cosmos for natural radio signals using a flat plane radio telescope equipped with a parabolic reflector. Now, what he was suggesting was that if any aliens were out there and they transmitted radio signals, these radio telescopes would capture them. These signals would be easy to recognize as artificial due to their repetitive nature and narrow bandwidths. So how could they be sure that these signals came from extraterrestrial intelligence? Well, they would analyze the signals and if there was some sort of pattern, or, or better yet, some sort of message, they would conclude it came from an intelligence. Why? Because we do know that only intelligence would be able to send such signals, such messages. As you can see, they wouldn't say that there are people somewhere, but some sort of intelligent entities, some aliens. We don't quite know what, but yeah. probably not humans. Yeah. Now, with these illustrations in mind, 
let me now give you a formal definition of the argument that I'm proposing. As, as you can see, I've talked quite a lot, but I haven't really given you a, a formal definition. Um, and in order to, to give this definition of my argument, I'm going to use a syllogism. Um, now, syllogism, maybe some of the listeners are scared by this term, but it's, it's something we may use in our day-to-day -day, uh, arguments. We have a major premise, we have a minor premise, and we have a conclusion. For example, let's take the major premise that all mammals have a spine or a backbone. The minor premise is that dogs are mammals. What is the conclusion? Well, the conclusion is that dogs must have a spine too, right? All mammals have a spine. Dogs are mammals. Therefore, dogs must have a spine too. So now, in the same form, I'm going to present uh, my argument. Um, the major premise is this one. All coded information comes from a mind. Minor premise, DNA coded. DNA code is coded information. So what's the conclusion? The conclusion is that DNA code must have come from a mind too. Uh, I, I hope this all makes sense. Uh, um, all coded information comes from, from a mind. Um, Actually, it's, it's interesting that um, uh, th this is a very important point. We never observed, actually, coded information coming from anything else but an intelligent mind. That's all coded information comes from. Now, what, what scientists discovered is that DNA itself is coded information. By the way, when I say DNA, I do not refer to the molecule itself, but to the information stored in the DNA, which is written in the DNA code. So the conclusion must follow that DNA must have come from a mind too. And, and I would also uh, like to, to note here that this argument is not based on what we don't know. You see, the argument doesn't say, we don't know how uh, DNA came about, therefore God did it. It's a God of the gaps. We don't know, therefore God did it. On, on the contrary, it is based on what we do know. We do know that coded information only ever comes from a mind. In the whole history of the universe, we have only observed that information comes from a mind. And because we are convinced of the fact that information only comes from a mind, I think it's, it just follows to say that uh, the information that is encoded in the DNA also must have come from a mind. I think, I think I'd be right in saying that uh, I'm not aware of anybody, of any scientific uh, um, level or whatever, that would argue that DNA was not some sort of code. Uh, and therefore can be read and must have been written at some point. And yet not everybody seems to say that then it's come from an intelligent mind. There are still those people that are around. Maybe sometimes they don't just put the two sides together. You know, they think about evolution, they think about DNA as a code, and maybe they don't put the two things together. But from your argument, and I, I agree with your argument, you, it can't have come from nothing. Because apart from anything else, the DNA code, DNA code wouldn't work unless it was complete, would it? So it couldn't start as a small sentence and then grow into a paragraph. It just wouldn't work like that. So why do you think some people are still rejecting the idea that DNA was written? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, um, obviously, I, do not, I cannot read people's minds and I don't know for sure why people are rejecting this argument. Um, for me, this is a powerful argument. 
Um, but I, I guess there are all, all sorts of uh, reasons, and I'm going to just venture some uh, guesses. And I would say that, for example, if you have people that do not have a lot of uh, scientific uh, training, yet they did study a bit of science, they are a bit familiar with, uh, uh, with science, they kind of trust scientists, if you wish. Um, and, and these people believe sincerely that science has already shown that life can start from non-life, hmm. right? Um, it, it, I've talked to people who, who said, for example, that the Yuri Miller experiment showed how life can start from non-life. You probably remember that experiment. We, we learned it in, uh, when we were in school about um, that mixture of uh, all sorts of chemicals and a bit of spark, and it produced some uh, chemicals, and they think, well, that's pretty much produced life. I remember I was a child in communist Romania when I was uh, studying about ex that experiment, and uh, I remember being laughed by my colleagues who were saying pretty much at, at the time, well, see, they proved that life comes from non-life, so your belief in God, that's, that's just nonsense. Um, and I find it a bit amusing because that's what I was studying in Romania some, I don't know, 30 years ago, maybe more. Um, and then I, I moved to, uh, to the United Kingdom and I studied at university and I was yet again presented with the same Yuri Miller experiment, although it's decades old. And uh, to be fair, uh, in my university course, we were uh, presented with the argument um, and they presented both the, the benefits of, of that experiment, what, what it did prove, but also it showed that it is far, far uh, away from proving that life started from uh, non-life, and it, it explained all those issues. Did but as actually, I said for... Sorry, just yeah. to interrupt you, there, did, did it actually show you how it had proven it, or did it just say that it had proven it? Um, in Romania, um, the implication was that it proved that life started from non-life. So the university here, no, it showed that it, it did not. Um, uh, all, all the issues that uh, there were, I'm not going to go into in depth, but there were hmm. issues with the experiment itself, whether the conditions on early Earth were really as the experiment assumed. Um, also, it explained that whatever that uh, experiment produced, the chemicals that uh, came about, uh, the same forces that produce them would be the same forces uh, that would destroy them, uh, right? Because in the cell, uh, all the cells, some components are, um, are protected through all sorts of mechanisms. But if it's an open environment, uh, some chemicals could be produced, um, mm. uh, but the same chemicals would then be destroyed by the same forces. So, In, in effect, people are just accepting it on trust. Pretty much, yeah. yes. Um, so, as I said, some people just think, well, I, I learned about this experiment in school. At the time, I was told that life came from non-life without the need of any intelligence. So that must be the case. I trust the scientists. Um, so that could be an, an explanation why people uh, reject the idea that you need an intelligent uh, creator. But obviously, I, I cannot uh, say that um, the only explanation is ignorance, because there are people who are actually very, very knowledgeable. They have doctorates in science who still reject the idea that uh, an intelligence like God uh, was the one who, who created life on planet Earth. And the reason is that, you see, in science, um, they have bought into this idea of naturalism. It pretty much says that everything in nature has to be explained by natural causes and only natural causes, right? 
if you want to explain how life started, you have to find uh, a natural explanation. Even if you cannot find one, you still need to reject even the idea that God could have been that intelligent uh, creator. I, I don't know if uh, you watched that um, um, interview that Ben Stein had with Richard Dawkins in the documentary, uh, Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed. Have you watched that? No, no. Bits of it. No, it, it's quite interesting. Um, actually, if people want to, uh, after this, uh, search on, on YouTube for uh, Richard Dawkins and aliens mm. uh, or uh, Richard Dawkins' signature in the cell, um, Ben Stein pretty much uh, asked Richard Dawkins, well, how did life start on this planet? And Richard Dawkins answered, nobody knows. Now, Ben Stein was not impressed with that answer. He was like, well, what do you think? Suggest something. How do you think it could have started? So uh, I'm just going to, uh, to read the answer that uh, uh, Dawkins gave because it's quite interesting. He said, it could be that at an earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization evolved by probably some kind of Darwinian means to a very high level of technology and designed a form of life that they seeded onto perhaps this planet. Then Dawkins continued, I suppose you may find evidence for that if you look at the details of chemistry, molecular biology, you may find a signature of some sort of a designer. And that designer would be a higher intelligence from somewhere in the universe. How mm. could we summarize what Richard Dawkins is saying here? Yeah, he, he's an atheist, as, as people probably know. He looks in the cell. He can see evidence of design, and he has to explain it. Now, obviously, one of those explanations is that, indeed, God is that intelligence who is both intelligent enough to design the cell and powerful enough to actually implement that design because design without implementation is not of much use for us. But he looks and he cannot say it may have been God because by definition, it cannot be uh, God. It has to be explained by natural causes. So what's the other explanation? Well, he says, I don't know, maybe aliens uh, uh, planted a seed on, on uh, the seed of life on, on planet Earth. What I know for sure is that it was not God. Yeah. So I, I find that, uh, that answer fairly sad, to be honest. Uh, as you can see, people have all sorts of intellectual reasons why they refuse that the designer uh, who designed and implemented the DNA code in cells was, um, was God. Um, but I, I don't think that the reasons are just intellectual. I don't think it's just the fact that they don't fully understand. I mean, um, some people do understand the workings of the cell quite well. And as a Christian, I have to say that I think there is also a spiritual component uh, that we as Christians cannot ignore. Mm. We are familiar with the text in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, and I'm just going to read these verses. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, 
God's invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Mm. It's powerful scripture. Absolutely. And you think about this, that's uh, almost 2,000 years ago when, when Paul was writing that. So back then he says people are without excuse. But today with the discovery of DNA, of the code that we have in there, we, we look at, 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 at a computer and we see that it has a, a code, it processes that information and it acts on it. We see the same in the cells. Um, you know, if computers run on software and we know that uh, computers have a pro- programmers behind them and cells also run on DNA software. So they must have had a, a, a programmer, a, a designer too. That's, that's based on what we do know. Mm. So why, 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 why do people can't see that? Paul explains because they suppress the truth. If life has a designer and that designer is God, then we are accountable to him. And some people hate the idea of being accountable to God's. Uh, the possibility of there being a God, that they just hate that. And, and I think as a Christian, that, that is sad <laughs> because, you see, people are running away from God um, and yet God is inviting them to, to come to him and, and be saved. I think they see God as a, this cosmic debt collector who's after them to make them pay for their sins and ruin the fun. Yeah. <laughs> and yet that's not the idea, that the, the image that the Bible gives. And I mean, when you think of the Bible, one of the, Probably the most beautiful verse in the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So I would like to invite the, the, the listeners to, to, to try to understand better this, this God, because that's the invitation that he makes. He says, I've created this nature and it points at me. Come and know me. And what I want for you is to express my love to you and I want you to become my child. Mm. I think you've done a really good job there of explaining how the cell works and that there has to be some uh, intelligent design behind it. And as we've said, there are options. The option is uh, from, well, they either ignore it totally or, or they say like Richard uh, did that, uh, Richard Dawkins did, that maybe it's an intelligence from another planet, another natural intelligence from another planet. Um, but of course, uh, Craig, for those people that uh, are listening, uh, they will know we've done programs on that because there are UFOs. UFO just means it's something we don't know what it is. It's unidentified. It doesn't mean it's from space necessarily. And so we've looked at those angelic and those type of things on the program. And people can look on Creation International, creation.com and, and find all of those things because the Bible tells us we're in a spiritual world. And as you were saying, people are, are denying the truth of who God is. And it's not necessarily that they're consciously doing that. There is a spiritual background to that, isn't there? I don't know about you, but I know when when I said yes to Jesus and, and he, he gave me a new life, it says he gives us a new life, my eyes were open to things I'd never seen before. And what seemed ridiculous before suddenly became so obvious. And so as we start to round up a little bit on this, I think that people who have seen that there's an intelligent design in the cells of our bodies should at least give God the option, not just uh, not just. Cut, it, cut him out totally and I'm hoping that people listening today will do that but for you personally which came first it sounds like it was your faith in Christ that came first and then this information came afterwards so what brought you into that knowledge of Christ in the first place because in Eastern Europe it, it I would imagine it didn't have the strongest Christian um, uh, atmosphere yes so um, I, I was still a child uh, uh, during communism 
Um, and I think I was about 13 when communism ended in Romania. Um, and up to that um, age, if you wish, the official religion was atheism. God does not exist. We all know that. Everybody knows that. And the Communist Party tells us that it's true. So that was the, the party line. Obviously, there were people who believed in God, but they couldn't do so publicly. And in school, the, the indoctrination was very powerful. And one of the tools that was being used was evolution. Mm. Evolution was rammed down our throats that this is uh, evolution, obviously, together with Big Bang. That's how the universe started. That's how life started. That's why we are here today. Um, so I, I, um, it was a bit, <laughs> to say the least, difficult to be a Christian under communism. And uh, it, it was... People had to suppress many of the, the things that they knew and their experiences with God. Um, and again, communism ended in 1989. There was freedom to go to church. Um, I started attending church. Um, I heard the, the message about God's love. Um, and I think in my life, there was never a time when I did not believe in God. I kind of knew there was a God somewhere there. I just couldn't care less about him. But in his good time, and he showed his love to me, and he, uh, he showed that he loved me so much that he gave his son to die for me, and I accepted him. Um, and not long after I became a Christian, I realized that, the, you know, although uh, Romania was now a democratic country, evolution and the, the teaching of evolution was still very strong and was still being used um, to, to convince people to not believe in God. Uh, and even then, there were so few resources in, in Romanian. So what I did, I started translated, translating from English into Romanian. I started publishing kind of those materials to my friends and colleagues and, and the people that I knew, because I knew that was very important uh, for them to realize, actually, um, science has not proven that life started from just a, a, a little muddy puddle uh, without intelligence being needed. Actually, it's the other way around. The more we learn, the more we realize that actually an intelligence is needed. If you are so inclined to think that it's an alien, well, I guess everybody has got the freedom to choose whatever they want to, um, to believe. But I think there are very, very strong reasons to believe that there is an intelligence and that intelligence is actually the God of the Bible. Well, Florian, I want to thank you for your time today. Like I said, I know you've been very busy and it's encouraging not just only to hear what you're saying. It's great information for people to, to listen to and then decide for themselves what they want to believe. But I also, it, I think from listening to your background very, very loosely, very shortly, it's good to see as you've gone further and further into IT and further and further into biology, basically with the cells, it hasn't actually, the science hasn't knocked your faith. It's actually strengthened your faith. And I thank you for that. So, Florian, thank you for joining us today and God bless you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that. Just the fact that uh, uh, very few people deny that there's some intelligent design behind what we see, especially when we look more and more at our bodies and the way everything is designed. Whereas we look at the way that the solar system works, not just our bodies, but so much there that has got to have some intelligent design. And uh, one of those options of where that design may have come from or that thought may have come from is from some outer space intelligence or whatever that might be. Now, if that's what you're thinking, then that's fine. But I really encourage you to look 
look on to creation.com and look at what they're talking about because the Bible tells us that we have a spiritual world and therefore there are extraterrestrials in that sense that they are not human beings, but they are spirits, they are angels, they're demons, all of these things. And much of what we see can certainly be summed up from a biblical perspective. So I really encourage you with that. But for me personally, uh, I believe what the Bible says that God actually created us and that means he created you specifically and you're very, very, very important and important to him. So thank you for being with us again today. And it's always a pleasure and a, and a privilege to be able to share some of what the Bible says with you. Have a great, great week. And until next time, God bless from me. And remember, you can catch us online, Facebook, Howard Coley 58 at 11 o'clock. And I look forward, if you're not on there, I look forward to seeing some of you in the church itself. God bless you. Bye bye.